if our ushers would come at this time, we will receive our offering. While we are receiving the offering here in our service, let me share a great need, your prayers. Please pray with us that God would use and bless the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. This program is a ministry of Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland. If the Lord would lay on your heart to donate to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour, we will provide our contact information at the end of this program. We will now return to the service. Number 51, we'll sing the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. morning I want to preach about peace. Uh, you know, we have an awful lot of turmoil in our culture and in our society and in our nation and, and what's going on. And uh, there, there's a, a couple who come together, uh, folks by the name of Cornell and Cooper, that wrote a song, Wonderful Peace. And I'd like to sing, I'll start with the chorus, I haven't practiced with the pianist, but, but this is so fitting of where we want to go. 
I'm going to sing the chorus, then the first verse and chorus, just to exemplify what our God has for you and me. It begins in that chorus, peace, peace. Peace, peace, wonderful peace Coming down from the Father above Sweep over my spirit forever I pray in the fathomless bellows of love far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than song in celestial like strains it unceasingly falls or the soul like an infinite call. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever I pray in fathomless billows of love. Take your Bibles, open them to Psalm number 85. Psalm number 85. I want to look at this morning from God's Word, God's formula for greater peace that you can have. Not only for greater peace, but I'll close out with how you can have God's formula or know God's formula for perfect peace. Psalm 85, and if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll begin with verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Will not thou revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what the God, the Lord, will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him that glory may dwell in their land. Here's the verse for my text this morning. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. 
righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. <coughs> Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Kind Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And our nation is, is in a world of hurt. But not only is our nation, but it impacts individuals. And I think many people are very apprehensive and anxious for where we are as a country. What's going on in our country? How do we fix this? How do we, how do we right the ship? What do we do? And Father, you've got answers for that. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at this theme of how righteousness and peace have met, we will be able to show from God's Word your remedy that can bring greater peace to our nation. And also how, through God's Word, we can know about having perfect peace with God. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, we, we are living in some very, very unsettled times. Uh, and I think most folks, regardless of their political persuasion, religious persuasion, where they are academically or, or wherever it is economically, I think most people in America really want greater stability and peace within our nation. Uh, I'm sure there's a handful that are using the instability, the violence, the division, and all of that to, to achieve a, a devious agenda. But I think for the most part, Americans want greater stability and peace. We probably have as great a political divisiveness as our nation has ever seen. Social conflicts that have been uh, instigated and, and fueled are at a, as great a height maybe as any time. Financial uncertainties. Uh, in fact, just this last week, I understand two uh, banks uh, failed. And they were two prominent banks out in the uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, I was just out in Santa Clara, and I believe that was the headquarters for at least one or both of these banks dealing with some of the tech companies and all of that. And there is financial instability that's going on. We would have to say that strife and division may very well be at an all-time high for America. But I'm here to say this morning... God has revealed to us in His Word, the Bible, His formula for greater stability and greater peace, both in an individual's life as well for the life of a nation. And then He has also revealed for the individual how you can have perfect peace that passes all understanding with God. And I take it from this text and from what I have read. And, and the key verse is about where righteousness and peace have kissed each other. It uses that personification of how these two great attributes, these two great truths have come together and unified and have kissed. And whether it be that, that social greeting that, that took place in the Middle East 
or whether it be that affection of, of coming together like a parent with a child or, or however you want to identify that in a positive response. They have come together in unity and in harmony. That's what I have right here. This passage in Psalms is prophetic about when Jesus Christ will ultimately return to this earth and set up his millennial kingdom. It is looking forward to that time where Jesus Christ, this will be after the rapture, which we believe is the next prophetic event to take place. Then there will be the seven-year tribulation. And after that, Jesus Christ in his second coming will come to this earth and set up his kingdom and he will rule in righteousness and there will be perfect peace. He is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. He is truth and he is a God of mercy. And we see all of those brought together in this verse and mercy or rather righteousness and peace are together with this. While we will not have perfect peace within our nation, and that's because of the, the failure of humanity. However, the Bible does reveal God's formula, God's format of how a nation like America can have greater stability and greater peace within its realm. Here it is. It is a simple, simple formula. The pathway to greater peace is righteousness. You, you will find that when righteousness increases, whether it be in an individual or in a nation, conflicts decrease. When righteousness prevails, peace is on the rise. The more a nation is committed to God's principles of righteousness, the greater peace will happen within. It is always evil that opposes that and creates the conflicts. The more an individual is committed to God's principles of righteousness, the greater your peace is within. Now, we'll talk about that perfect peace which deals with salvation and being right with God. But the fact of the matter is, even if a person is lost and without Christ, if they will live by righteous principles, they will discover that their life has less conflict, less upheaval in their life than the person that lives an evil, wicked life. The pathway to greater peace. Now, this is not perfect peace. But the pathway to greater peace has three essentials. And I'm going to look at those. These three essentials are, one, righteous behavior. But righteous behavior needs righteous laws. And righteous laws need righteous justice. If you have a failure in any one of those three... Conflicts will arise and peace will diminish. Let me begin with righteous behavior. What do I mean by righteous behavior? You see, everybody has a definition of what may be right or wrong. But righteous behavior, biblically speaking, is right behavior towards each other. 
Now, there's a little difference between holiness and righteousness. Holiness has to do with our character and who we are as a person. God is a holy God that has to do with his holy character and nature. Our God is a righteous God because God is a holy God. He always deals righteously with his creation and with every man, woman, and child. He always deals righteously with every nation. And so righteous is how we treat each other. And so we're talking about righteous behavior. Being honest typically will not create a conflict. Now, I realize if only one out of a multitude is honest because of all of the lying and deceit of everybody else, there's going to be a conflict. But do you know if everybody is honest with each other, there really is not a whole lot of room for conflict. We, we look, you can look at your relationship. If a husband and a wife would be absolutely, perfectly honest with each other all the time, there would be little conflict between the two. I'm sure we could find something else to fuss about because of our human nature. But if we would be honest, it would minimize and eliminate an awful lot of conflict. You can put this into our nation. If our elected and appointed leaders were always honest with each other and honest with the American people, it would minimize the conflict that's going on. If journalism and news media was always honest without a, a personal agenda or motive to get their way, if they were always honest about everything they said, it would minimize a lot of conflict. You see, that's righteous behavior. Um, here's another one, coveting. You see, when we start coveting that which is not ours... That always creates jealousy and conflict between people. If I want what you have, but it's not supposed to be mine, then all of a sudden I don't like you because you have it and I don't have it. And I want to make you miserable with it because I'm miserable without it. And you see, when we coveting will always create conflict. Now, if, if we'll work for what God wants us to have, and the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain, righteous behavior minimizes the opportunity for conflict that can happen. Well, here's another one, stealing. You know, coveting typically will lead to stealing. Stealing will always lead to conflict. It never produces peace. I do not care whether it is one person stealing from another, whether it is within corporate uh, hierarchy stealing from each other, or government having legalized stealing with excessive taxation. I'm not entirely opposed to all taxation, but excessive, that's legalized stealing. You see, if, if you eliminate thievery, you eliminate an awful lot of conflict. Now, I know when we think of stealing, we think of stealing $100, $1,000, a $1 million. Uh, there's somebody that, that started some uh, digital coin process. Uh, I forget his name right now. And uh, was millions, if not billions of dollars, defrauding the people. You know, we, we think in terms, well, boy, he's a thief. But a thief, under Bible terms, 
is taking that which is not yours, whether it be a penny or a million dollars. That's what a thief is. And when we start stealing from each other, we increase the level of conflict and warring and upheaval and unrest. But you see, if everybody would simply do right, peace would be on the rise. The more an individual is committed to God's principles of righteousness, the greater your peace will be, whether it be as a nation or as an individual. This is what we need to understand. We're not going to. You know, there's a lot of people that don't like what's going on in our country. They see the sins and the unrighteousness of others, but they're not willing to recognize the unrighteousness in their own lives. And they're always willing to throw a rock at somebody else and unwilling to do with what may be in their life. I don't care whether it is a greater unrighteousness or a lesser unrighteousness. Even small unrighteous behavior creates conflict. If we as a nation of people want to see our nation restored to greater peace and greater stability and greater union, then we as a nation will have to become more committed to righteous behavior or it's simply not going to turn around. Now, I said righteous behavior. The second one that we need that is a part of this formula is righteous laws. We need to understand what is righteous behavior. And I'm sure all of us could come up with our own definition. But if I if I'm the one giving a definition of what's right and wrong, I'm going to make it after my image and my image still has its failures. I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I'm still a sinner saved by grace. And I would define it as to what is convenient, what is good for me, and not imperfection. God's laws has defined perfect righteousness and has given perfect definition of what is right and wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is righteous, what is unrighteous. Beginning in the 1960s, and it may have started before that and going into the 1970s, there was such a thing called values clarifications. I don't know if they even use that term. That's how they introduced this folly. They called it values clarifications. And they said there's no absolute right or wrong. That everybody has to determine what is right in their own mind and what is wrong for them. And that's how you determine right and wrong. Well, let me ask you, after about 40 years of that, how's our society working that one out? It's not going good, is it? There was a greater failure. An awful lot of that got into churches across America. And a lot of churches in America, they started saying, well, you know, there's no real absolute right and wrong, and everybody has to come up with their own definition of right and wrong. All of this is an attack on the authority of God's Word. And it is an attack on the authority of God Himself. God has placed in His Word what is absolutely right and what is absolutely wrong.
And some people will talk about gray areas. I don't think there's as much gray as what people want it to be. There's an awful lot more that is black and white. Uh, God gives perfect definition of righteousness, unrighteousness, as he defines it in the Bible. It clearly defines what is righteous behavior for an individual. How you and I as individuals, whether saved or lost, it clearly defines what is acceptable behavior and what is unacceptable behavior, what is good, what is bad, what is righteous, what is unrighteous. And it is the behavior that is uh, defined by God and accepted by God that will create greater peace. And when you reject that and go with bad or unrighteous definitions, you will have greater conflict and a loss of peace in your country. He clearly defines righteous behavior for a nation. I believe if you'll take the Word of God, and if you'll study the Word of God, if our elected officials would come to the Word of God, They would know how to draft and write righteous laws that are good, that will help a nation, that will build a nation, that will strengthen a nation. It will will allow people to have independent responsibility and some accountability, and it would never, never take away their God-given rights. They wouldn't have to do that. If a nation would go back to that, our nation started out that way, and I'll come back to that in a couple of moments. But it it defines the righteous behavior for a nation. It defines the righteous behavior for a church. As a pastor, sometimes I am so embarrassed about some of the things that's going on in the name of churches and in the name of somebody who has the office of pastor that, that is so wrong. But if they would get back to the Word of God, the Word of God clearly defines what is acceptable uh, behavior for a church, what is acceptable behavior for a pastor, and what is not acceptable by God. What is righteous, what is unrighteous, what is good, and what is evil. He gives the definition for a nation, for a church, for a family, for a marriage, and even for an individual. God gives that definition. It will touch every aspect of society. There's not a part of our society that God's Word leaves out. He has the answer for everything in our society. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 8 says, And what nation, this was talking about Israel, the laws that God had given to Israel. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? We come to the New Testament. Paul's writing to the New Testament believers and to the church. And the church is not Israel. There are certain uh, promises, there were certain commands, uh, there were certain things that was given to Israel as a nation that are not given to us as a church. There were certain things that God gives to us as a church that was not for the nation of Israel. We need to know the difference. But there are some things that just never change regardless who God is writing to. Romans 7:12, Paul said, Wherefore the law is holy and the commandments holy and just and good. 
Now, I'm not talking and neither, and we're not talking in these verses about the ceremonial law of all of the sacrifices and all of the ceremonial washing and the certain feast days and all of that. Those were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his first coming. We're talking about the moral law that goes even beyond the Ten Commandments. If you would read and study uh, the, the whole uh, first five books of the Bible, you would learn a great deal about what is right and wrong individually before God, what is right and wrong for a marriage relationship, and what is right and wrong and how a nation should govern its people. You would find that in those verses. It is the moral law that reveals sin. That is unrighteous behavior. First John 3, 4 says sin is a transgression of the law. You take the, the moral law, just the, the Ten Commandments reveal what's right and wrong. Paul said in Romans, I wouldn't know what was sin except by the law. The law says, thou shalt not steal. That shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not covet. It gives a list of what... And it's very simple, very abbreviated, very simple there as to what's right and wrong. You cannot be saved by keeping the law. We need to understand that. Because in that same book, or going to Galatians 2.16, it says, No flesh shall be saved by the keeping of the law. But we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. However, by using the law as a standard of right and wrong, you will promote peace and stability in a life and in a society. Also in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. It reveals to us, yes, we are sinners. And we understand we don't have the capacity to reconcile that only through Jesus Christ. And so when I'm talking about the moral law as being a, a, a formula of right and wrong, we're not talking about how to be saved. We're talking about how we could uh, improve peace and unity in a society and in individuals. I read the testimony of what I presume was a very highly intelligent but atheistic lawyer. He, he, he had a, a brain that just really uh, understood legal matters and law and, its, and justice and its impact and everything. And even in spite of all of his atheism, he began to become curious about the Bible. He started reading through the Bible from Genesis. He wanted to read it from the beginning to the end. He started reading through the Bible. And if I remember and understand correctly, by the time he got to the end of Deuteronomy, he was no longer an atheist. He, he believed there had to be a God. And his reasoning was this. He said, no man could write this code of law as pure and perfect as recorded in the Word of God. Any law written by man that was not influenced by the Word of God always has selfish motives, ulterior motives, and always has a failure. 
And this is something he recognized. But as he looked at God's laws of right and wrong, we're not talking about the ceremonial law. We're talking about the moral laws of right and wrong and how a nation should govern its people and how justice should be applied. He said there has never been a human author that has ever devised and written such a code of law and a system of justice of enforcing that law with its punishments that was as equitable, as pure, and perfect as God's laws. And it was that that caused him to realize that there is a God, and since there is a God, this is his word, and it tells me how I can be saved. And he got saved. You see, righteous behavior demands a righteous law that clearly and perfectly defines right and wrong, righteous versus unrighteousness. But there is that one more I mentioned. There was a third one. For greater peace to prevail, righteous laws necessitate righteous justice and enforcement. Now, I'm not talking about a government or, or somebody forcing people to believe God or even to believe in God. But to reinforce right behavior and punish wrong behavior to reward righteousness and to punish unrighteousness. There has to be a righteous justice system or the whole thing falls through and you do not have greater peace but greater conflict. Many of our founding fathers literally spent hours in the evening studying God's word to understand and know how to draft our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, uh, the three branches of our government, how to uh, establish the laws and justice and all of that. And you will find, for the most part, now it's because it was written by man, but for the most part, it was a great government they established. They wrote down, they started out with this, that we as individuals, as human beings, have inalienable rights that have been endowed by our Creator, God. They recognized that it was God that gave us these rights, not government. And that government had no right to take it away or to give it, but it was the responsibility of the government to recognize, honor, and protect them. That includes the first one, second one, and right down through the list. They understood that. But as you look at their justice system and the laws that they wrote, they wrote it in such a way they absolutely defined what was right and what was wrong, and for the most part it was defined by God's righteous laws. And they also penned the justice that when laws of, of right behavior were violated, they, they divined and devised and wrote the principles of justice and consequences to preserve righteous behavior in our nation. When that falls through, peace goes away.
There will be no peace to a nation where unrighteousness prevails without consequences. And we have a big problem with that. There's widespread shoplifting without consequences. I understand in in many of these cases, stores will do nothing about it unless it exceeds $1,000 or more. I don't care whether you're stealing a piece of penny candy or a $1,000 TV. You're a thief, and there should be consequences for it. Went into one of our local building supplier stores. They now have much of their electrical aisle behind bars and padlocks and cages. And I looked at that, and I said, wow, shoplifting must be going bad. He says, oh, it's terrible. I said, I just can't imagine somebody coming in here and putting one of those little spools of of wire and sticking it in their pocket and walking out. They said, that's not the problem. The problem is they're bringing flatbeds and they're loading the big spools and everything they can get on a flatbed and just going out the front door and our company will not allow us to stop them and we're going broke over shoplifting. Folks, when a nation and a society of people will let people become thieves without consequences, you're not going to have peace. There has to be laws with real, practical, proportionate consequences. We have widespread violence without consequences. People can commit violent crimes and be back out on the street within a day. We have people who have tried to walk through our our federal government building in Washington, D.C. and have been sentenced to four years in jail. On the other hand, we have those that are committing violent crimes, including murder. And they're back out on the streets. When, When unrighteous behavior can go without consequences, that nation will not have peace. It will be without peace. I could go down the the road of political corruption without consequences. But the fact is, if you want to restore greater peace within our nation, then we will have to do it God's way with God's righteous laws and God's plan of righteous justice. (coughs) I know one of the first objections will come up is, oh, capital punishment. They'll, They'll take you to that. Do you know, they say it's not really a determinant determent to violent crimes? Well, let me ask you, if all of these people who have committed a violent crime once were executed, how many of these repeat offenders would still be going? How many of the the victims of these repeated offenders would still be victims? It wouldn't happen. Well, then they come back, well, uh, they have a hard time with that argument. So then they come back and they say, well, what if somebody who didn't commit the crime becomes convicted and is executed? And that's a sad failure in humanity. But do you know God's got a remedy for that too? Have you ever thought about that? God has a remedy for that. The majority of those that are convicted wrongfully of a crime happen because of malice, either in the prosecutor and or the judge and those around him. Either they wanted to get that person out of the way, silence them, or they simply wanted to close a case and move on. God says when they do that, they're murderers. And now they are subject to capital punishment. 
And I'll tell you what. If you would execute every prosecutor that maliciously accuses somebody falsely of a crime, if you would execute every judge that maliciously and convicted them by, by court of trial, if you convicted them of murder and followed God's plan of capital punishment for murder, I think some of these people in those offices would take a little different approach and be more careful. And that would not happen very often. You see, God has a formula that remedies every problem that we have in our country. I believe most Americans want to have greater level of peace and stability, not only in their country, but in their own lives. The pathway for that formula is through God's word, righteous laws, righteous behavior, and righteous justice. We cannot have perfect peace, but we can have greater peace with righteousness. Now, let me close in these last brief moments. I've spoken of greater peace for a nation and for people, but I want to remind you of perfect peace that you can have with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God our Father. The pathway to this peace is the same way. It is righteousness, but it's on a much higher level. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Unrighteousness is unacceptable to God. You cannot have peace with God and live in unrighteousness. But it is a wonderful thing. God has righteous justice as well. You will find in Revelation chapter 20, that if we do not deal with unrighteousness, if we do not deal with sin in our lives through God's formula and God's way, He has righteous justice. Revelation 20, beginning with verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things, which were written in their books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, God does have a righteous justice, but God has a remedy. In Romans 5, 8, it said, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can't be saved. I said earlier that that you can't be saved by keeping the law. We just can't do it. However, Jesus Christ, and in fact, Titus 3, 5 says, not by righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy and the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, He saves us. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Jesus Christ died as our substitute to pay our sin penalty. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we see ourselves as sinners and we repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's not a matter that Jesus has, and God has just erased our sin. He applies the blood of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ 
paid for my sin, your sin, every sin, each sin, all sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He paid it by substitute. And when we received and accept the finished work of Jesus Christ and put our faith in Him, we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And our sin penalty has been paid. Romans 5, 1 through 2, talks about how we are justified by faith, not by works. As citizens of this country, we must promote and personally live and vote for righteous laws, justice, and behavior. That our nation could have greater peace within. However, a great deal of that is out of our control. But here's something that is in your control of choices. You can choose to receive the perfect peace of God that's beyond all understanding by recognizing as God shows us that we are a sinner, that we repent, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. There will be no peace with God until that is true in your life. Father, we come to you, and I ask that you would use this message to challenge each and every one about the value and the necessity of righteous laws, righteous behavior, and righteous justice to be elevated in our country, to diminish the conflict and the unrest and promote peace within our nation. But more than that, Father, I pray that if there is anyone, whether they're here this morning in our auditorium or listening to this on one of our broadcasts, Father, I pray if they are without Jesus Christ, they will understand their need, repent of their sin, and put their faith in Jesus. We pray in His precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Once more, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again, be sure you are...
prepared for a power outage? Never be left in the dark again. Wagner Electric has proudly partnered with Generac to provide long-lasting generators for your home. We have standalone and portable generators in stock now. So give us a call for a free estimate at 970-800-3693. If you are constructing or upgrading your home, trust our expert electricians to take care of your home the first time. We offer services for anything from wiring an unfinished basement to wiring a newly built pole barn. Your electrical system is the heartbeat of your home. 
So don't risk it and give us a call today to get started at 970-800-3693 or visit us at wagnerelectricco.com. We are located off Highway 85 in Greeley at 1517 2nd Avenue. Wagner Electric sets the standard. Wagner Electric has the generator to meet your needs. Call now for a free estimate, 970-800-3693. We have everything from standalone generators to portable generators in stock. There is also financing available. We also have an outstanding service department that will offer anything from wiring a pole barn to wiring in new smart switches to create a smart home, as well as electrical inspections. Please call us at 970-800-3693 or visit us at our website at wagnerelectricco.com. We are located at 1517 2nd Avenue in Greeley. Wagner Electric sets the standards. Bleed stop. Clinically proven to stop bleeding in seconds. From minor cuts to large bleeding wounds, tear open the package and pour directly into the wound, apply direct pressure, and bleeding stops in seconds. It works for people on blood thinners, doesn't sting, is hypoallergenic, and is sterile. Bleed Stop, safe in the wound. Find Bleed Stop on the KHNC website. Simply click on the Bleed Stop button at the top of the page. Blue Dragon Spa in Longmont, Colorado, 1811 Hover Street, 720-680-0492. A new spa started by Steve, the Red Pill Truth Guy, and his wife, Valentina. Drop by. We offer manicure and pedicure, facial, and more. We have new, state-of-the-art equipment, and we use the best materials available. Yeah, give us a call, 720-680-0492. We're at 1811 Hover Street in Longmont, Colorado. Everything very good. Just come in and try it. J.D. here. Join me as I take my A-10 Warthog radio show into the swamp to do battle with the political and propagandist cockroaches and swamp creatures. Saturdays, noon to 1. Hi there. We're the guys from All Gas, No Class Radio. Please join us and support our new show Sundays from 2 to 3 p.m. We'd love to have you. Because we're too ugly for OnlyFans. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland.